0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, later on the show, we're going to be hearing about earning a passive income from one of our sponsors, Liquidity Card Solutions. In this case, my uh, guest for this week is Carrie Siegel. Uh, he has written several books the theme of which is, why didn't they teach me this in school, but um, money management management skills. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Carrie.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate it. Let's start with
1: your background a little bit and how you got into this uh, money management business and what you were doing before you got to there.
2: Sure. I went straight from college at Binghamton University to the University of Chicago, where I got my MBA. And I started my career really developing, managing, and bringing new consumer food products to market for craft. And then ultimately ended up with a couple of different companies in various senior marketing, sales, development, and general management roles in the corporate world. However, you know, early on I realized, you know, my family was much more important than my work. So I decided to, I call quote-unquote, retire at a very young age because I, I did a few things, but I really retired from the corporate world. I was traveling way too much, and I quit my job and did a bit of consulting for a while. Then I wrote this book, Teach Me This in School, with a subtitle, 99 Personal Management Principles to Live By. So it didn't start out as a book. It started out as a compilation of notes that I made to pass on to my kids and other friends and relatives about money management. And these notes, I told people what I was doing. They said I should publish it. I had no idea how to do this. I wasn't an author, publisher, or even really a writer. So I researched how to do it, and, and it made sense to try it. I realized, this is what I realized, Jordan. There was a huge gap in teaching these money management principles. Think about it. People tell you a couple things about money as you're growing up, and even as you're as you're older in life. People tell you from a young age until forever that, one, money is important, and, two, you need to earn it. But no one through that process, and remember, I went to the University of Chicago, one of the best business schools in the country for finance, no one ever teaches you how to manage it. They didn't teach me. Nobody taught me that. You do it through, through what's going on around you. When I say they, they don't teach you it. I say they, meaning parents, teachers, and anyone around you. They either, one, don't understand it, or they understand it too well and complicated. When I researched it, I found complicated books on the subject that would overwhelm people with terminology and complication of simple thoughts. There was no book that would teach it simply and easily to people of all ages. So I kept it real simple and easy, without numbers, which was key, made it a quick read, non-intimidating, and importantly, motivating. I, I, I didn't do this to get published, so I self-published it. I, didn't expect, I expected, you know, 100 copies to be given to friends and such, people who I cared about. I was truly shocked that it took off so well. To date, I've sold over 150,000 copies and over a half a million people have read it. And I'm not saying that to brag. I, I'm, I'm amazed, okay? From from there, I started presenting it to groups across the country, corporations, the very wealthy, the homeless, high schools, universities, grad schools, even libraries and bookstores. As you can tell, whoever would listen to me, I'll talk to about this subject because I really feel that I can help them. As my speeches grew, I also was amazed at how difficult it was to explain, and this is an important thing, that my goal is to help people manage money in their everyday life, not to make money off of it. And, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm not a money manager, trying to make money investing other people's money. That's not my forte, I'm not a stock, stock person. Um, although I love playing with them, I, it's not something that I'm, I'm trying to do. That's why there's still a lot of universities that don't, don't take me up on my offer to give them free presentations. The book is not, and and I'm not someone who talks about getting rich quick. I'm somebody who talks about and learned, again, through this process, probably length through lengthy in terms of telling you who I am and what I do, but it's a live within your means and live a good life book. And and As you can tell, it's truly my passion every day to motivate people to, as I say in my podcast, take control of their money before it takes control of them.
1: Why is it that you think that schools are not teaching it? I mean, there are all these personal finance education classes. I think it's 17 states currently require a course in personal finance education before you graduate. So there are definitely schools teaching this kind of stuff. Why do you think they're not getting through the material you're getting through in your books?
2: Two things. One is there are 17 states, but there are only 17 states, and they're only requiring one class. Okay. To me, this is as important as anything that you're learning. You know, my kids took five different, you know, different AP courses, different math courses, yet nothing on this. So the the, the idea that the real the 17 states are teaching one, that you it's requiring one, one time to take a semester course on financial management. It, it's a travesty because it's probably the single most important thing that and life management and health management that can help them with the rest of their lives. The reason why. One, it's not legislated. You know, that's one of the reasons. Two, there's not enough people with the knowledge to actually teach it effectively. Uh, And and three is all the other things that people are asking them to do within the schools. And by the way, I'm not, the title of my book is, it's great, why do they teach me this in school? But but it's not just the schools. Think about, I'll, I'll give myself an example, Jordan. I was very bad at science. Okay, so anything about science, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I still don't want to have anything to do with it. I leave that to my wife. She, she, she knows it very well. She understands what springs to me. A lot of people who are doctors, lawyers, veterinarians, this side of the, this side of the world intimidates them. And all they've, lear- all they've found is it's intimidating as they're going about learning it in their everyday life. So they've stayed away from it. They haven't learned it. They haven't taught it necessarily to their kids. And I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying it's a fact. So part of that, again, why is it's something that has to be, you know, understood and realized that, you know what, this isn't going away. This is something that's going to affect your life for the rest of your lifetime. And it should start, by the way, when you say schools, it should start all the way back in first grade. Something that teaches them along the way how do they do it. And it should be in the curriculum along the way. Otherwise, otherwise one course, even if all 50 states do it, it's still not going to be effective.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's get right into it. So you've got three different books. They're all why didn't they teach me this in school? One of them is uh, 55 exercises to reinforce your money management skills. You've got 99 life management principles to live by, and then 99 personal money management principles to live by. Um, and then you've got a website as well, which is why didn't they teach me in this in school dot com. Just talk a little bit about what is available on your website.
2: Oh, well, sure. Um, you know. On my website, I basically it's basically something that talks about in general what these books are, some media that's surrounded the reviews, all that. So it's, it's more of a. In, in reality, it's what I can do for people through my books, through my speaking engagements, whatever it may be. Um, the books in themselves um, are very easy to read and very informative. For example, I the reason I developed the workbook is because I didn't realize until I started getting lots of emails from different folks that there were schools, there were colleges, universities, and high schools. And by the way, even the even the army out in Colorado was using my book to teach people um, how to manage effectively manage their money. So I developed a workbook to go with that in conjunction with that book. So those are my, my my main book is on money management. And one that helps that is the workbook because it helps people, you know, in schools and universities and also people who are just buying it something extra for the one on life is, I'll call it my, I think I said it originally, I am adamant that schools start teaching more about things that matter for the rest of your life. Money management yeah. is number one to me, life management, um, and if you've looked at the book or read through it, it's my perspective, again, my perspective on what's important in terms of learning small things about life that'll help you out as you go further. Um, and and I want to stress on all, all these books it's one person's perspective that some people can disagree with some of the principles in them, and if you've looked at it, you've probably looked at it. I might not agree with this, Okay, My goal is to motivate people to start thinking about these things so that they don't end up in a bad spot because they're blaming everyone else for their problems as they get older.
1: Yeah. All right, let's get right into it. So in your 99 personal money management principles to live by, the first group is life lessons, as you call it. And the first one... Is to marry the financially right person. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, I want to make sure it's clear. It doesn't mean marry someone who's wealthy. It means that if you think about it, Jordan, what's the number one? And you'll know the answer right away because we're both in this sort of uh, in this space. What's the number one thing that married people fight over? Probably money. Right. It's, <laughs> it's money. It's it's money. And the problem with that is. Um, it's the least, if you think about when you date somebody, okay, it's the least talked about subject when you're dating, right? And you spend a lot more money when you're dating. You're going away. You're giving each other presents. You're going out and doing things. It's not reality a lot of times. Even if they, can afford, even if they can't afford it, somebody, they don't necessarily show the real selves. If you think about the standpoint of uh, compatibility, you need to really understand, you know, is the, your partner going to be a saver or a spender? And are they showing it as, as, you're, you know, as you're dating? Because if they're a spender and you're a saver, you're going to have some really tough time.
1: Is it and, good and to have know, two savers partner. or two spenders? Or should, should you always have two of the same <laughs> kind? Because that could be a balance well, if you have it, one as a saver and one as a spender.
2: It'd be great, Jordan, if you don't have two spenders, because that's going to get you guys in big trouble. <laughs> but but uh, right. you, you're, you're definitely better off at least having you know the the right mindset because if you're both if one of you is going to be a, a spender and the other one is very conservative and doesn't want to do that you can have issues if you're both spenders you're probably going to get in some other issues in terms of your debt in terms of things that are going on unless you start changing your ways um, but it, but it is a, it, the key here the important thing is that you should have before you're married you know, you need to know what somebody's net worth is. You know, it's just a tough thing to talk about. You know, you need to know how much debt they have, if they have debt. Do they have something? Do they have um, some sort of, um, I don't know, thought process in their career where they're going to quit soon? Um, what, what's their what's their salary? All sorts of things like that. That are not they're they're sensitive subjects, but you need to have those discussions before you get far along in your relationship.
1: Okay, we're going to get into more of these as well. Um, my guest this hour is Carrie Siegel. He's the author of several books called Why Didn't They Teach Me This in School? Uh, you can find out more about his money management tips and what we're discussing at his website, which is why didn't, they teach this in school, why didn't They Teach Me This in School.com. We'll be back after this. And now a word from our sponsor on earning a passive income.
3: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21 year old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Siegel. He's the author of several books called Why Didn't They Teach Me This In School, all about essential money management skills. You can find out more about it at his website, which is why didn't they teach me this in school.com. Welcome back to the show, Carrie.
2: Thank you. Glad to be back.
1: So we're talking about various principles. So you you say having and raising children cost a lot of money is this something people underestimate what it's going to cost to raise children
2: absolutely I did I, I have five children and uh, the, the cost of raising a child from birth to before to, to when they leave the home and I'm saying about at 18 you know before they go to college and if they don't go to college or whatever is anywhere between two hundred fifty thousand three hundred fifty thousand dollars and, and um, they you know you think about it all the things that you need when somebody has has somebody's growing up, you need a. car, you, you have more entertainment costs. It's just a lot more money.
1: Yeah. So uh, you're saying people should consider that before they have kids, or yeah, if they, they realize it's going to be 250th. What what should they do about it? So it's not too much what of a burden.
2: Should, you know, that's a great question, Jordan. They should really make a plan and say, you know what. It's something that you have to plan for in everything in life. Here's what we're doing. We want One, one person's going to stay home and both of us are going to work, and here's what we're going to be doing. This is what we think we can afford also with our children. Now, it sounds like a non-emotional decision, um, but you need to factor in those non-emotional decisions along with the emotional. I, mean, I love kids. I didn't realize I could have gotten myself in trouble with that many kids. And I always say whenever I talk about children, I love my children, but if they're listening, I'm glad I had all of you, even though you're very expensive.
1: <laughs> how, how many kids did you have?
2: I have five children, and they're all within four and a half years of each other.
1: So, what has what has been the financial burden of that more than you expected?
2: Oh, everything. Um, you know, the, the the cost of you know all the I'll call it entertainment, the sports, the um, the food. Um, we have a, uh, we have five kids right now that are all three of them are should be out of the house, but because of COVID, we have five five people at home back at home. And you look at it. You look at the cost of, you know, healthcare. You look at the cost of, you know, what you need to have in terms of the proper number of rooms for them to live in. And it, you know, it it costs quite a bit of money. Um, then you think about college, and you want to, What you want to do? I always said, you know, I paid for school myself. My kids can do the same, but you want better things for your kids. So you do whatever you can for them. You spend more on them than you would on yourselves. So um, again, the, the idea is making sure that you understand what you're getting into. Um, it's, so if, if you
1: were you're, you're today with the knowledge you have today of having experienced raised five kids, if you were giving advice to a couple that was thinking of having five kids, not having gone through experiences you have gone through, what advice would you give them?
2: One piece of advice I'd say is if you're planning on five, you might get six, because we were planning on four and the last were twins. <laughs> uh, my, my advice to them would be that, was, you know what? There's a lot of unplanned expenses. That's number one, um, is there's unplanned expenses that you don't think of. Two is make sure you have enough that you can give them what, what they need along with the love that you want to give them. Because it's a lot of, it's not just money. All this, I talk about money in my book, but it's also what you can give to all your children, your time and energy. Now, are you fortunate enough to be able to have somebody at home to help raise the, the children? Or are you going to be leaving them on their own? And how do you manage that?
1: Okay, your next principle is always live below your means. So you're saying a lot of people don't do that. They live above their means? Is that right? And how can they live below your means
2: instead? Oh, Jordan, that's probably the biggest one. If you can manage that effectively, and if you can do that, you can live a great life. But people don't want to do that. Unfortunately, and you won't like this terminology, but Americans were pigs. We want to have it all. We want everything now. We can't wait until we can afford it, okay? Living below your means is basically, you know what, you're making X amount of income. Some This is what's coming in. You want to live a little bit below that. Doesn't mean that you're going to live badly. Okay? It means you have to prioritize what your wants and needs are. Yours, nobody else's, yours and your family's. Then make sure that you live accordingly. You can have certain things. You can't have everything you want. It just doesn't work. Um, yeah. and, and that's very important to realize because if you can live below your means a bit, you're never gonna get behind, okay? And you can look, Jordan, you know, look at, look at all the athletes, entertainers, and different folks that go bankrupt. Over 60% of the NFL and NBA players go bankrupt, okay? Michael Jackson was, was all, I think he was bankrupt or almost bankrupt. These are people that have tens of millions of dollars because they're spending more than tens of millions of dollars. So that can happen yeah. to you too at all different levels. But you can live a life, and what I tell what I tell my, my um, relatives, my family, friends, is, you know what, whatever you choose to do in life, it's great whether you're making $50,000 or 100000 or a $1 million dollars a year, but live your life according to what's coming in. And that sort of goes with what you were asked about children. Plan accordingly. It's not, you know, hey, we deserve this. I want this. It's a tough day. You've got to manage
1: it. So what would you expect for people today who are living perfectly normal lives, and their means just dropped dramatically because the, the business they were working at just closed, the restaurant closed, the small business closed, they got furloughed, they got laid off. We have millions of people unemployed today, and what they thought was their means just disappeared. What would you recommend for people like that?
2: Yeah, you know, and that's, that's a tough one, Jordan, from the standpoint of it depends on each one's individual, you know, what's going on with them individual, but there's a couple things. One is, I hope to God they had a good emergency fund, but I know that's not the case in most houses in America. Um, but two is they have to make adjustments right away, and that's a tough thing to do. And you'll say, well, what do you do if you have nothing coming in or if you have nothing coming in? You know, you've got you've to you've make some really difficult decisions, in and individually I don't know what they would be. But, for example, you might say, I can't live in this home anymore. And, and that's a very tough thing to say, and, it's a very, and I've seen that happen not during, during this one, Um, But it's going to be happening obviously in the next few months. But back in 2007, 2008, there are a lot of folks that I knew and gave advice to. It's like, you don't have any other option. Yeah. How you live and where you live and what you have. And you can't do certain things. And part of this, part of the interesting thing with this, and that's why I don't have the precise answer, is what's happening right now. If you look at expenditures by people, they've gone down. 'Cause they can't go out. They can't do a lot of things that they're doing. So it's yeah. it's actually caused the expenses to go down. So you're like, Well what do you want me to cut? And all I could say is, you know what, just, just persevere and find find any opportunity you can. I had you know, I had folks in my family that lost jobs and that's what they did. They you know, they looked and they did something that they were qualified to do but wasn't making as much money. You've sorta of got it your ego has to take a back seat.
1: Yeah. So one of your other principles is to expand your circle of friends and associates and keep in touch with them. How does that help your personal finances?
2: You know, that's a great one because what it does is the more people you know and the more people you communicate with and the more you become friendly with, you're going to have more opportunities. And the more opportunities that come up, then there's going to be more financial opportunities for you. And I'm not saying make friends. Because of that, as a matter of fact, I give advice on networking. I say, when you network, your goal is to actually ask somebody if you can help them do something, because it's going to pay back big time. And one, you're going to feel good, but two, it's going to pay back. But when I think of all the things, when I say expanding the network, when I, my, the network, when I think of the people that I know and how it's helped me over time, either get another job with my book, for example, people helping me out because I knew them and I helped them at one point in my life, it, it, it works out. It, it pays back. For example, too, the person who's my insurance agent. Well, I met I met that person, and they were, they were unbelievable through coaching. You know, I happened to meet them through that. My accountants that I've used over the years. One of them, one of them um, was somebody that I worked with at at, uh, at my job, and we became friends. And I, I'll do my do your accounting for you. Um, things like that. Um, the more people you know, the more you're going to better yourself financially because. You know, you're going to help them, they're going to help you, and ultimately I know I've saved thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars by surrounding myself by good people. With good and people. one of your other
1: big principles is to get rich slowly. You're saying a lot of people today are trying to get rich very quickly. What, what's the downfall of trying to get rich quickly?
2: Well, the biggest downfall isn't, isn't necessarily a financial one, although oh, that, that's a big thing, is you don't enjoy life. You're so worried about making enough money that you don't, you're not having you're not having a good time. You're not enjoying what's happening. All that matters is saving that money and getting more money and making sure that you're okay on that end. So that to me is probably the biggest loss that you get by trying to get rich um, quickly. And also, the people that you know, the other part of it is there's not many people that do get rich quickly. Um, you read about them and you think about it, but if you think about Jordan, how many people you know that? You know, Got rich quickly by either winning the lottery, by winning money in in in, uh, in some sort of betting range, by the stock market, by a uh, startup. Startups. People say, "Oh, they had a startup and they made tens of millions of dollars." They don't think of what they put into that startup and how many years it took to do something like that. And yeah. it's, it's that. And, and here's something that's a little bit off of what you said, but I, I I think it's important. Social media has caused a lot of this in terms of people saying, "Oh, wow, look what they've done. I should be able to do that just as quick." And boy, I should probably take a risk, a, a big risk, and do this. Sure, take some risks, but make sure you're doing it, educate, take educated risks. But if you build it up slowly, as you've seen people do, they actually develop a good way and a good philosophy of managing their life and managing their finances.
1: So what, what would you say people should do when they see a, a rocket taking off? Uh, Bitcoin going to 20000 Tesla going up to $1,600. Gold going up to $2,000. Netflix, I mean, these these kind of vertical stocks, should yep. you just stand aside and let everybody else get richer? I mean, it's, it's very tempting to kind of get in on these things when you see these rockets.
2: Sure. Well, I give you two, two things. One is, usually if you see the rocket, the rocket's taken off, and, and you've missed that. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you don't get on it a little bit, but you don't put all your money in it. I can tell you stories of people that I know that put their money on three or four stocks, and, you know, they were stocks that were... They, they made a lot of money on, but they stayed with them and then money. And then the companies went bankrupt. So there's a, there's an interesting thing. I'm not, again, I'm not a stock guy. I'm not somebody who can tell you what stocks to get, when, what ones not to. But I also had a friend of mine who would pick amazing. stuff. So he, he would pick, you know, he would pick a Netflix or whatever, but he'd get out at the wrong time and he'd lose money on the stock. So I'm, I'm a more, again, at my, my perspective, I'm more a slow, steady, you know, you know that if you put your money in, in, you know, Call it ETFs, mutual funds, where there's some experts that know exactly what they're doing. You're going to end up okay, in good shape as long as you're as long as you're not having the big losses along with the big wins.
1: Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Carrie Siegel. Uh, he's written several books called "Why Didn't They Teach Me This in School," uh, "Essential Money Management Skills," uh, "Life Management Skills," some exercises on these various topics. You can find out more about it at his website which is why didn't they teach me this in school.com. We'll be back after this. If you're a business owner, chances are you're now reevaluating the way you do business amidst the coronavirus pandemic. Establishing an online presence is not optional, it's mandatory if you're going to survive. Pivoting quickly is hard enough, but finding the people to make it happen can seem like a full-time job. Fiverr's freelancing platform helps you find the right talent to build your online presence fast. Finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming and frustrating, not to mention expensive. There are so many factors, like how much will it cost, how can you be sure they're going to deliver. Fiverr lets you hire freelancers with proven track records and clear pricing so you're never in the dark. Whether it's building your first website or designing social graphics to celebrate years in business. Fiverr connects you with the talent you need to keep moving forward. I've used Fiverr several times and the people I picked always came through at very reasonable prices. Just today I found a website designer in Pakistan who helped me put together a website from scratch that's going to accomplish exactly what I need to do. I find a photographer in New York who is very professional and took a bunch of pictures of me that I'm now using on my website. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services. That includes graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, voiceovers, and music. Find what you're looking for instantly since so you can search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more. You know exactly what you're paying for up front. No hourly fees or negotiating. Payment is released to the freelancer once you approve the work. Fiverr offers 24-7 customer service if you need help. They offer quality talent. You can count on it since sellers have worked for some of the most influential brands in the world including Google, Netflix, and PayPal. Reviewer seller ratings and buyer feedback to select the right freelancer based on your budget. Find your talent today at fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code answers. It's so easy. Find all the digital services you need in one place at fiverr.com spelled f i v e r r.com and use code ANSWERS. That's Fiverr.com, code
3: ANSWERS. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
4: or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Siegel. He's the author of several books called Why Didn't They Teach Me This in School? And we're going through the various money management principles. There is a website related to the books, which is why-didn't-they-teach-me-this-in-school.com. Welcome back to the show, Carrie. Thank you. So one of your other principles is develop a written budget and evaluate it every single month. So a lot of people are maybe never going to do that. Is there a way of doing it that's less painful? There's a lot of software today. How do you do it a yeah. realistic budget?
2: It, it's simple. You can actually do it in less than, less than 20 minutes if you just start up. All you do, you can do it handwritten like I started when I was younger or you can do something like it, like mint.com or do your own Excel spreadsheet and all you do is on one side put all your expenses okay all the things that happen in your life and on the other side what's coming in usually what's coming in is one, one line which is salary or pay and the other one is all the different things but you've got to keep up with it you've got to keep track of it and you've got to do it every single month and then you analyze it from the previous month and you make changes accordingly and that's probably the biggest biggest one where I've think I've seen people either adhere to it and they, you know, do amazing well or they say, you know what, I don't want to hear about this and they end up keep doing what they're doing and they start faltering. Yeah. The next
1: one is to save or invest 50% of every salary increase. I mean, a lot of people are not getting salary increases today, but if they were, 50% is an awful lot. Why do you have to save and invest that much of it?
2: The one thing I learned in the classroom, I learned that from uh, a professor my 19th year of school. The second semester, he was talking said, you guys are going to make money when you come out of here, some more than others, some less. And at some point, they're going to give you an increase. You lived fine on what you were making before. You found a way to do it. Now you're going to get a little bit more. Take half of that. Live a little bit better. Take the other half and um, save and invest it, and you're going to find yourself living better in the short term and the long term. And it made perfect sense to me. Um, it, you know, unless you're uh, – you've got to start off right, like I said, living below your means living below your means, and then you're doing this, then you're going to be in great shape.
1: You also talk about understanding employee benefits, that they're worth more than people give them credit for. What, what are the people missing about their employee benefits?
2: You know, one, they're not really looking at them. From what I've seen, especially people who are starting out, they look at it and they go, Oh yeah, okay, so they're gonna they're gonna pay for this. They don't realize how much they have to pay into a program now when it's healthcare. They don't understand that, hey, wait a second, they're doing this for me, they're actually paying for my if I, I don't have to drive my car in, it's actually gonna save me money because they're gonna pay for part of my transit um, there's all sorts of things that if they don't sit down with somebody in HR, if they have a, if it's a larger company, and say, you know, okay, just explain all this to me, let's make sure we got it down, and I understand it, they're going to find themselves in, a, in, a, in not, not maximizing what they can get out of something, especially their 401k plans, and I'm sure you've talked about enough of that with guests of yours that I don't need to go into the 401k plans right now. Now, you have
1: an unusual idea, which is to have an emergency month every January. Yeah. What should you do with your emergency
2: month? Uh, Emergency month is great. Emergency month I've been doing forever. Emergency month, you basically say, I'm going back to, if you're out of college, go back to how I spent in college. and You live your life during that month that way. You cut your spending. You don't go out. It's sort of like COVID. <laughs> you, you don't go out. You don't go out for dinner. You don't go for entertainment. You do it inside, but you have a good time. You actually find a way to you, you, you sort of get back to the basics of your life, which is nice. And when I do it, it this is key. I do it in January, and why? Because it's the same as what happened November, December. Think about dieters in January. November, December, people are eating like crazy. They're drinking like crazy. January, they cut back. They take a month and they go, oh, we've got we to change things, join fitness place. The same thing with spending. November, December, you're going out a lot. You're buying lots of gifts. You're doing lots of things. January, you cut back, and you get back to, call it, below normal so that you can go back to normal in February.
1: Yeah, you, you have a whole area on sh- uh, shopping you say make sure to mail in your rebate offers right after you purchase a lot of people forget to do that yeah
2: really that one in there in my old business that's what we, we did some of that and rebates get about oh geez I, I, back, back then it was about 6% of people sent back in their rebates but over 50% of them were buying products because of the rebates so it's, it's something that people miss on
1: yeah as far as housing, you say don't underestimate the cost of owning a home. What are some of the things that they underestimate?
2: Oh, everything. You know, they, they go, oh, the home is only going to cost me $100,000. What about taxes? What about, what about maintenance? You know, what about the fact that um, you're going to have to also, you're going to have to pay for insurance. Um, you're going to want to furnish that house. So when you start looking at the costs associated with it, you've got to remember all these things. And it's interesting because a lot of people think, well, of course. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't think, of course. They go, wow, we afford the house. Now we can't put anything in it, and we can't pay our taxes, and now they're taking it away from me.
1: Yeah. You also say to stay away from great deals because in many cases they're not great deals. What are some examples you have of that?
2: Oh, geez. It's great. great deals that aren't great deals. Um, I, I've, had, I've had some... And I've been certainly done the wrong thing with smaller ones. But, you know, gone into the store and you know how you go through the mall and there'll be people in the middle of the kiosk and they'll be selling you something. And someone comes up to you and someone came up to me once and they said they gave me this. I don't know, it was sort of something for my wife for Christmas, and it was like uh, nails, and doing your nails, doing your um, all sorts of makeup, and it was something for like, you know, you, she told me later you could get it at the store for like $20, and I paid $100 for it, things like that. Whenever someone says something's going to be better than it is, it probably is not.
1: Yeah, You say that. Uh, make sure the luxuries you, you afford yourself are truly important to you. Do you, people spend money on luxuries they really shouldn't? That aren't that Absolutely. important to them, when they waste the money.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think they see somebody else having something, and they say, well, and they look at something and say, "Well, boy, I, I know I do better than them." It might be somebody who they they who works for them, and they go, "Well, geez, they have that car, so I should be able to afford that car." And they end up putting themselves in a big big problem spot. Yeah, uh,
1: and as far as paying bills, you say pay your bills on time every month, and that. Don't forget to pay the government on time. What happens if you don't pay the government on time?
2: Get yourself in some big trouble. Um, you think about obviously the IRS. You want to pay them on time because otherwise you're going to be, you know, having to deal with them, and that's not something fun. You're going to have to pay pay extra um, fines, even speeding tickets, things like that. All of a sudden, you can find yourself with stop by a police policeman after you haven't paid your ticket. And all of a sudden you don't have your car with you anymore. And you got to find a way to get home. And you also have to find a way to get that car out of being towed. Um, You're you're smart to make sure you respect one. You need to pay your bill. You know, you need to pay anything. that I I have a very, I have a problem myself. myself. If I owe somebody a quarter, I have to pay them back the next day because I think that is a fair thing to do. Um, my thoughts, my thoughts, everyone has different thoughts on how they want to live their life, but I think it's very important to do that.
1: You also say uh, it's okay to overpay the IRS by a little over the course of years. A lot of people yeah. overpay a lot, and they <laughs> get big refunds. Is, is that a mistake, or you think that's a good idea? Is there, people sh- see that almost as a form of savings to have a refund. Uh,
2: you know, I do, but not a big one, not a huge one. I think you said exactly what I would say is, you know what, have something small so you know you're not going to have to pay at the end of the year because that sort of stinks. You're going, oh, wow, you know, I I thought it was okay. Now i got to pay $500. But if you get $500 back, it was for savings, especially when you're younger. But if you have a a large amount, then they're holding your money for you that you could be, you know, earning, well, now you can't earn a lot of interest on it, but you could be doing something with that. So you don't want to have a large sum, and you should probably base it upon what your income is and what you, you know, what you have coming in. So they've changed
1: the withholding tables now. Uh, You're supposed to do it based not just on your salary, but your entire tax situation. And since a lot of people have the standard deduction, they don't have deductions anymore, it changes things. How would you uh, change withholding based on the new rules now?
2: You know, I probably couldn't give great advice on that from an accounting perspective. I'd probably probably leave that to an accountant. But um, what I've advised, you know, my... My uh, family to do is to make sure that they sit down with with our accountant and make sure that they go through that and make sure that he gives them a good a good way of doing it.
1: You've got an area on buying cars. You say to buy cars that fit into your current budget. Do you think a lot of people buy more expensive cars than they really need?
2: Uh, I don't think as much as probably the previous generation. I think they're getting more practical in terms of how they're approaching transportation. A lot of people are saying, do I need transportation? How much do I need? So I don't think so. I think that people are probably being a lot more wise in that area. Uh, But again, no matter what, you're going to have people who aren't who are saying, you know what, I want to have the status symbol of this better car even though I can't afford it. And I think it's important that you really judge what you need in a car too because it's real easy to have that price go up on you because you're saying, well, I really want to have this, but do you need this? you know, in terms of some sort of luxury item within the car.
1: And you're saying a solution is to buy last year's model on high-ticket items, cars and other kinds of things. Is is that, it's not hurting your prestige to have last year's model?
2: No, you know why? Because in another year, no one's even going to know it anyhow. Um, And again, my whole thought process is, who cares about what other people are thinking? It's what's important to you. And and when it comes down to a TV, unless it has, again, unless it has something that is, state-of-the-art that has changed, then you're only going, to want, going to want the newer model. But if it's the same, same type of thing, whoever looks at your TV and says, oh, that's a 2019, that's not a 2020, or your refrigerator. Um, so I would, I would suggest that. I also would suggest if you're buying a piece of furniture, if it has a ding in the back of it and no one's ever going to see it, you're going to get a better price for that. And, you know, that's something, again, to be aware of. Is, you know, you don't want something that's going to break down, but if it's something that no one's ever going to see, why
1: not? Yeah, very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Carrie Siegel. He's written a series of books called Why Didn't They Teach Me This In School. Uh, you can find out more at his website, which is Why Didn't They Teach Me This In School We'll be back after this.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
5: own it outright in five to seven years call truth and equity 888-262-5540 or visit truth eight 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 two six two five five four zero. 888-262-5540 jordan goodman is an affiliate he recognizes quality solutions forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome
1: back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Carrie Siegel, who's written a series of books called Why Did They Teach Me This in School? Uh, various Kinds of Essential Money Management Skills. Uh, his website is why didn't they teach me this in school? Welcome back to the show, Carrie. Thank you. So, we talk about debt here. You say debt is bad, and if you're in debt, get out of it quickly. Do you think a lot of people are in debt and are not trying to get out of it? I mean, it's not something that most people try to get into.
2: No, obviously they don't want to get into it, but they don't know how to get out of it, and um, they just keep going down that, you know, that, that trap. And once you're, once you're in it, and that that's my whole idea Is make sure, do whatever you can not to get in, into debt um, and don't, you can't there's so many things you can blame it on but you've got to realize it's your responsibility to get out of it and make sure you make the changes and necessarily do it and they're not easy ones they're definitely not easy ones
1: You say, uh, you just say no to credit cards and particularly do not get a credit card in college now this is often the first time people are a way of their own. They're trying to learn responsibility. What's wrong with having a credit card in college and using it responsibly?
2: You hit the one that I've changed since my kids went to college, and I haven't changed it in the book. I totally don't agree with what I wrote. <laughs> I think that—that's <laughs> unusual. <laughs> <I> no, <know. laughs> I definitely, you definitely. That's what happens when you self-publish a book. You have to make a change, and I, I just haven't done it. But um, it, to me, what I've learned is one: you need to get one because it's very difficult to get a credit card when you get out of college. My daughter was in college and she came out and she had no debt whatsoever, actually had had assets, and she couldn't get a credit card because she didn't have a credit card in college. So my advice is actually get a credit card in college now. Two is make sure you use that credit card when you're there. Three is only have one credit card. And four is use it and pay that off every single month.
1: And then you say you should develop a good credit rating. What are some things people should do to improve their credit ratings that they may not be aware of?
2: One of them is, like I said, use it. Only use about, you know, at the most like one-third of what your credit limit is because that helps definitely. Uh, You want to make sure you pay all your bills on time every time. You want to make sure uh, that and that's no matter what, you should do that. Um, and that's, those. Those three are probably the most the ones that you really want to make sure that you're uh, make sure that you're doing.
1: In your investing principles, you say don't fall for get rich quick schemes. What are some examples of get rich quick schemes that people fall
2: for? Oh, geez, uh, get rich get rich quick schemes. I would say um, someone someone calling you know the, 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 you get them on the internet. Someone sending you something you know, to reply to, that you're going to make some money doing. Um, whenever anybody tells you that they're going, that you're going to have to invest to end up making money on something, so they'll say, okay, buy these goods and we'll be paying you this amount as you go uh, further along. Don't do that. Things like that you just want to be careful of.
1: In the, in the stock market, you say people should not play hunches or invest in friends' can't-miss tips. How do you know what's a can't-miss tip and what, what really might work out
2: well? Well, th- what happens is you just take somebody's word for it on those can't-miss tips versus going and inv- investigating and researching and seeing what's really behind them. And a lot of times those what I've seen is get rich, to get the, the quick investment type of uh, things that people come at you with, it's like, well, i got to get in now or I'm, or I'm not going to be in, involved in it. You also say
1: don't invest with family and friends or loan the money. Now, many people do this, particularly startup businesses. That's where they get the money from is family and friends. You're saying you should never lend anything to family or friends or loan the money?
2: I think that if you give something, if you ever, I've given things to family and friends, but I look at them as something that I'm not necessarily going to get back. So it doesn't mean avoid them in terms of providing them money in terms of things that they may need to, Uh, they need help with. But don't look at that as something that you're going to get back. Um, It's a surefire way to lose family and friends. That's why I wouldn't want to, again, this is me, invest your money with them. Because if they turn out badly, you're going to blame them. If they turn out great, oh, yeah, everything's going to be great between you. But that's what ends up happening in a lot of relationships with family and friends.
1: Yeah. You have a whole section on housing. Uh, You're saying to budget 25% of your uh, gross salary uh, for rent. A lot of people do way more than that. Why why should you limit yourself to only 25%? Uh,
2: Because that's what I learned a long time ago, and that's what I think um, works well when you look at all your expenses and all the things that you need to be spending your money on. So I wouldn't spend, at the most I'd spend 28%, but I wouldn't spend a lot more than that, and I don't think it would be wise to do so.
1: You're saying when you buy a house, you should buy less house than you can afford. If you buy a smaller house than you really need, I mean, meets your needs, then you're going to have to move up to a bigger house later when you have kids or something. Why buy a house less than you can
2: afford? Well, when I say less, it doesn't necessarily less in terms of size, but it needs to be less money than you can afford. Because what everyone tells you to do is, hey, you're going to be making more money, so buy it, afford. That's how people get into trouble. I've always bought houses that are less than I can afford because then I live happily within them. Don't get me wrong, I, I find the right house that fits my needs but I don't overspend on let's say extras or lucrative things that things that aren't going to be uh, necessary for my life. So I would always advise going a little bit less than going above. On
1: your mortgage, say that you should always pay at least 20% down. I guess that's to avoid private mortgage insurance but a lot of people do not put down 20%. You're saying they're They shouldn't buy a home at all if they don't have 20% down?
2: You know, it's interesting because right now the mortgage rate's so low, I mean, uh, unbelievably low, that I would say you would try to still do the 20%, but if you had to and you had to go a little bit lower, now is the time that I would advise doing something like that. Um, But it is, you know, you don't want to pay that uh, private mortgage, mortgage rate. That's for sure, the private insurance.
1: You have a whole insurance area where you say always choose the highest deductible For homeowners and automobile insurance, why do you always want the highest deductible?
2: Because it's very rare when you use your insurance. I shouldn't say very rare. I've over time. It's been very rare for me. And the higher deductible is the lower cost for you. And as long as it's not going to break you, whatever that deductible is, then I would advise doing so.
1: In the insurance areas, you also say people should buy term insurance rather than cash value insurance, particularly if they're younger. When you buy it younger, when you cash value insurance younger, that's when it's cheaper. Why should you do only term insurance?
2: Well, I would, I would definitely do term insurance when I, when, I, when, I was, when I was younger. I did that, and it made sense for me. I looked at it and said, well, I can make more investing my money than buying whole life insurance or any type of insurance program. So I looked at it as a long-term investment, and also as you're younger, you have less people depending on you. So it makes sense, you know, if you really want to have insurance, um, and you need it for, you know, short term, then term insurance makes sense at that point in time.
1: Uh, on wedding advice, you say that you should not have a big wedding, that you should take the money and put as a down payment in your house. So you're, you're kind of a wedding killjoy. Is that right?
2: No, no. I, I, you know what? I had a great wedding. I didn't have to spend a ton of money on it. I enjoyed it. But if somebody gave me an offer and said, Hey, we're going to give you X amount of money, um, Instead of, you know, paying for, instead of a wedding, well, I would have a smaller wedding and pay for my, and still have a great wedding. Um, I think sometimes, again, everyone has different points of view and perspectives, but I think people tend to overpay on things because they think that they have to because everybody else is doing so. Doesn't mean you can't have a great wedding, it just means you make uh, the right, uh, I'll call it, uh, priorities within it.
1: We have about two minutes to go. Why don't you kind of sum up all the advice you've been giving here? And what difference it will make people's lives to learn these things and implement these things as opposed to what most people are doing, kind of bumbling through life without understanding all this stuff.
2: Uh, absolutely. The, um, I think the most important thing is to think about is that, you know what? No one's going to teach you how to manage your money effectively. You may be lucky enough or fortunate enough to have somebody who can help you. But you need to realize that whatever stage you are in life, Okay whether you're right out of school, whether you're 50 or sixty years old, that it's all up to you. you can't blame you know I used to hear all the time you know they locked me into a high mortgage rate. I don't know what I, I, I don't know that, that there were extra fees there. My lawyer didn't tell me this uh, my my payment is too high. Nobody did that to you. you did that to yourself when I say that I'm, not, I, I, I'm saying you have to take control of your own of your of your own life and the money that you're earning, whatever you're doing. It's all up to you. And if you and my whole message is I want you to get motivated. I want people to get motivated to take take the necessary steps, which means start learning about money management on their own. Spend the time every day or every week, whatever it is, listening to podcasts like, like yours, Jordan, to understand, you know what? You've got to do it. Bottom line, you know, if you take control of it and you do it the right way, you're going to live a pretty good life when it comes to that aspect. And that's a pretty big, pretty big part of your life.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Cary Siegel. Uh, he's written a series of books called Why Didn't They Teach Me This in School? You can find out more about it and all the money measurement tips he has in them at his website, which is com. Thanks so much for being a great guest. I think people learned a lot, Carrie.
2: Great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time, Jordan.
1: Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.